0: CD 2 Windows blew out and iron gutters melted. roofs lifted into the air and settled again. Buildings shook. But this storm had been blowing in from far across the plains, pushing the natural background magic ahead of it. It dumped it now, all in one go. They said afterwards that the bolt of lightning hit a clockmaker's shop in the street of cunning artificers, stopping all the clocks at that instant. But that was Nothing. In Baker Street, a couple who'd never met before became electrically attracted to one another and were forced to get married after two days for the sake of public decency. In the Assassin's Guild, the chief armourer became hugely, and since he was in the armoury at the time, tragically attractive to metal. Eggs fried in their baskets, apples roasted on the greengrocer's shelves, candles lit themselves, cartwheels exploded... And the ornate tin bath of the Arch-Chancellor of Unseen University was lifted neatly off the floor, sizzled across his study and then flew off the balcony and onto the lawn in the octangle several storeys below without spilling more than a cupful of suds. Arch-Chancellor Mustrum Ridcully paused with his long-handled scrubbing brush hovering halfway down his back and stared around. Tiles smashed to the ground around him, water boiled in the ornamental fountain nearby. Ridcully ducked as a stuffed badger, the origin of which was never ascertained, flew across the lawn and smashed through a window. He winced as he was hit by a brief and inexplicable shower of small cogwheels which pattered down all around him. He stared as half a dozen watchmen dashed into the octangle and headed up the steps to the library. Then, gripping the sides of the bath, the arch-chancellor stood up. Foaming water cascaded off him as it would off some ancient leviathan erupting from the abyssal sea. Mr. Stibbons, he bellowed, his voice bouncing off the imposing walls. Where the is my hat? He sat down again and waited. There was a few minutes of silence, and then Ponder Stibbons, head of inadvisably applied magic and praelector of unseen university, came running out of the main door carrying Ridcully's pointy hat. The arch chancellor snatched at it and rammed it on his head. Very well, he said, standing up again. Now will care to tell? "'The—it's going on! And why—old Tom—ing repeatedly!' "'Magic, sir! i owen up the—mechanism!' Ponder shouted above the sound-destroying silences. Old Tom, the university's venerable clock, told not sounds, but silences. Not simple, ordinary silences, but intervals of noise-absorbing non-sound that filled the world with loud soundlessness.' There was the dying metallic noise from the big clock tower. Ponder and Ridcully waited a few moments, but the city stayed full of normal noise like the collapse of masonry and distant screams. ''Right,'' said Ridcully, as if grudgingly awarding the world a mark for trying. ''What was all that about, Stubbins? Why are there policemen in the library?'' ''The big big magical storm, sir, and uh, several thousand gigathorms. I believe that the watch is, is, is chasing a criminal.'' ''Well, they can't just run in here without asking.'' "'said Ridcully, stepping out of the bath and striding forward. "'What do we pay our taxes for, after all?' Uh, "'We don't actually pay pay taxes, sir,' said Ponder, running after him. Uh, "'The system is that we promise to pay taxes if the city ever asks us to, provided the city promises never to ask us, sir. Uh, "'We we make a voluntary—' "'Well, at least we have an arrangement, Stibbons.' Uh, "'Yes, sir. May I point out to you that uh, you—' "'And that means they have to ask permission.' ''The essential decencies must be maintained,'' said Ridcully firmly. ''And I am the master of this college.'' Uh, ''On the uh, subject of uh, decencies, sir, um, you are not in fact wearing...'' Ridcully strode through the open doors of the library. ''What's going on here?'' he demanded. The watchman turned and stared. A large blob of foam, which up until that point had been performing sterling service and the cause of the essential decencies, slipped slowly to the floor.'' ''Well,'' he snapped, ''haven't you lot seen a wizard before?'' A watchman snapped to attention and saluted. ''Captain Carrot, sir, we've er uh, never seen so much of a wizard, sir.'' Ridcully gave him a slow, blank stare used by those with acute uptake-grasping deficiency. ''What's he talking about, Stimmons?'' he said out of the corner of his mouth. ''You're um, insufficiently dressed, sir.'' ''What? I've got my hat on, haven't I?'' ''Yes, sir. Hat equals wizard. Wizard equals hat.'' "'Everything else is frippery. "'Anyway, I'm sure we're all men of the world,' "'Ridcully added, looking around. "'For the first time, he took in the other details about the watchman "'And dwarves of the world? "'Ah, trolls of the world, too, I see. "'And, um, women of the world, too, I note. <coughs> um, "'The Arch-Chancellor lapsed into a moment's silence "'and then said, "'Er, uh, Mr. Stibbons?' Uh, yes, sir?' "'Would you be so kind as to run up to my rooms and fetch my robe?' "'Of course, sir.' "'And in the meantime, please be so good as to lend me your hat.' ''But um, you do actually have your hat on, sir?'' said Ponder. ''Quite so, quite so,'' said Ridcully, slowly and carefully through his fixed grin. ''And now, Mr. stibbons in addition, right now, I wish you, in fact, to lend to me your hat, please.'' ''Oh,'' said Ponder, ''oh, er, uh, yes.'' A few minutes later, a thoroughly clean and decent and clothed Arch-Chancellor was standing in the very centre of the library, staring up at the damaged dome, while beside him, Ponder Stibbons, who for some reason had elected to continue to remain hatless, even though his hat had been handed back to him, stared glumly at some magical instruments. "'Nothing at all!' said Ridcully. "'Wook!' said the librarian, who was an orangutan, changed from his former human shape as a result of a long-forgotten magical accident." It was so forgotten, in fact, that now people were forgetting he was an orangutan. This might seem quite hard to do, given that even a small orangutan is quite capable of filling all immediately available space, but to the wizards and most of the citizens, he was now just the librarian, and that was that. In fact, if some ever reported that there was an orangutan in the library, the wizards would probably go and ask the librarian if he'd seen it. "'You've searched everywhere!' And he, "'He can't search everywhere in this library, sir,' said Ponder. "'That would take more time than actually could possibly exist. "'But but all the mundane shelves, certainly,' um, Carrot turned to Ponder. Uh, "'What was the um for, please, sir?' "'You, you, you understand that this is a magical library, uh, "'and that means that even in normal circumstances "'there is an area of high magical potential above the bookshelves.' "'I have been here before,' said Carrot.' "'Then you know that um, time with libraries is somewhat more flexible,' said Ponder. "'Given the additional power of the storm, it might just be possible that, that, that—' "'Are you going to tell me he's been moved in time?' said the watchman. Ponder was impressed. He hadn't been brought up to believe that watchmen were clever. However, he took care not to show it. Uh, "'Would that it were that simple,' he said. "'However, um, the lightning appears to have added a random lateral component.' Uh, what?' said Redcully. You mean in time and space, said Carrot. Ponder felt himself getting rattled. Non-wizards shouldn't be that quick. Not exactly, he said and gave up. I'm really going to have to work on this, Arch-Chancellor. Some of the readings I'm getting can't possibly be real. Vimes knew that he had woken up. There had been darkness and rain and a terrible pain in his face. Then there had been another flowering of pain on the back of his neck and a feeling of being pulled this way and that. And now there was light. He could see it through his eyelids. His left eyelid, anyway. Nothing but pain was happening on the other side of his face. He kept the eyes shut and strained his hearing instead. Someone was moving about. There was a chink of metal. A woman's voice said, He's awake. "That is you sure? said the man's voice. How can you tell? Because I'm good at telling if a man's asleep, said the woman. Vimes opened his eye. "'He was lying on a bench or table of some sort. "'A young woman was leaning against the wall next to him, "'and her dress and bearing and the way she leaned filed "'immediately in Vimes's policeman brain as seamstress, "'but one of the bright ones. "'The man had a long black robe and a silly floppy hat "'that got filed under, "'Help, I'm in the hands of a doctor!' "'He sat bolt upright. "'You lay one hand on me and I'll thump you!' he yelled, "'trying to swing his legs off the table. "'Half his head burst into flame. "'I should take it easy if I were you,' said the doctor. Gently pushing him back. That was a very nasty cut. And don't touch the eye patch. Cut, said Vimes, his hand brushing the stiff cloth of an eye patch. Memories interlocked. Car, sir. Did anyone get him? Whoever attacked you got away, said the doctor. After that fall, said Vimes. He must have been limping at least. Look, I've got to get. Then he noticed all the other things. He'd been picking them up all the time, but only now did the subconscious present the list. "'He wasn't wearing his own clothes. "'What's happened to my uniform?' he said. "'And he noticed the, I told you so, expression the woman gave the doctor. "'Whoever attacked you, stripped you down to your drawers "'and left you lying in the street,' she said. "'I found you some spare clothes at my place. "'It's amazing what people leave behind.' "'Who took my armor? "'I never know names,' said the woman. "'I saw a bunch of men running off carrying stuff, though. "'Ordinary thieves, didn't they leave a receipt?' "'No,' she said, laughing.' Why should they? And are we allowed to ask questions, said the doctor, tidying his tools. None of this was right. Well, I mean, thank you, yes, said Vimes. What's your name? Vimes's hand stopped halfway to his face again. You mean you don't know me, he said. Should we, said the doctor. None of this was right. This is Hank pork, isn't it, said Vimes. "'Er, yes,' said the doctor, and turned to the woman. "'There was a blow to the head,' he said, "'but I wouldn't have thought it was that bad.' "'Look, I'm wasting time,' said the woman. "'Who are you, mister?' "'Everyone in the city knew vimes, surely. "'The Guild of Seamstresses certainly did, "'and the doctor didn't look stupid. "'Perhaps this was not the right time to be totally truthful. "'He might just be somewhere where being a copper "'wasn't a good thing to be.' It might be dangerous to be Vimes, and right now he wasn't well enough to deal with it. Keel, he said. The name just dropped into his mind. It had been bubbling just under the surface of his thoughts all day, ever since the lilac. Yeah, right, said the woman, smiling. Want to make my first name? John, said Vimes. Appropriate. Well, John, it's like this. Men lying flat out and naked round here aren't all that uncommon. And it's a funny thing... "'but they don't usually want anyone to know their real name or where they live. "'You won't be the first one Dr Lornear has patched up. "'My name's Rosie. "'And now there's a little fee, you understand, for both of us?' "'All right, all right, all right. "'I know how this goes,' said Vimes, holding up his hands. "'This is the Shades, right?' they both nodded. "'Okay, then, thank you. "'I haven't got any money, obviously, but once I've got home... "'I'll escort you, shall I?' said the woman, "'handing him a badly styled coat and a pair of antique boots.' I wouldn't like you to be attacked by anything. A sudden loss of memory, for example. Vimes snapped, but very gently. His face hurt and there were plenty of other bruises everywhere and he was dressed in a suit that smelled like a privy. He'd go up the watch house, get cleaned and changed and make a quick report and head on home. And this young lady could spend a night in the cells and then be handed over to the seamstresses' guild. They came down heavily on extortion like this. It was bad for trade. All right, he said. "'and he pulled the boots on. "'The soles were made of cardboard, and they were too tight. "'Dr. Lorne waved his hands in a general gesture of dismissal. "It's all yours, Rosie. "'You leave that patch on for a few days, Mr. Keel, "'and with any luck you'll have a working eye. "'Someone took a slash at you with a sharp knife. "'I've done the best I can, and the stitching is good, "'but you're going to have a nasty scar.' "'Vimes raised his hand to his cheek yet again. "'And don't pick at it!' Lorne snapped. ''Come on, John,'' said Rosie. ''Let's get you home where you belong.'' They stepped out. Water was dripping from the eaves, but the rain had eased. ''I live up past Sudopolis Yard,'' said Vimes. ''Lead on,'' said Rosie. They hadn't reached the end of the street before Vimes was aware that a couple of dark figures had fallen in behind them. He was about to turn, but Rosie clamped her hand on his arm. ''Don't bother them, and they won't bother you,'' she said. ''They're just coming with us for safety.'' "'Who's oh, yours or mine?' Rosie laughed. Both, she said. "'Yes, you just keep on walking, kind sir, "'and we'll be as quiet as little mice,' said a shrill voice behind him. "'A slightly deeper one said, "'That's right, dearie. "'Just be a good boy and Auntie Dotsey won't have to open her handbag.' "'That's Dotsey and Sadie,' said Vimes. "'The agony aunts. "'Well, they bloody well know who I am,' he turned. "'The dark figures,' both wearing old-fashioned black straw hoods, stepped back. In the gloom there were a number of metallic noises, and Vimes forced himself to relax a little. Even though they were, more or less, on the same side as the watch, you never quite knew where you were with the agony ants. Of course, that's what made them so useful. Any customer disturbing the peace in one of the local houses of good repute feared the threat of the ants far more than he did the watch. The watch had rules, and the watch didn't have Dotsy's handbag, "'and Sadie could do terrible things with a parrot-headed umbrella. "'Come on,' he said, "Dotsy, Sadie, that's not mess about, eh?' "'Something prodded him in the chest. "'He looked down. "'The thing had a carved parrot head on it. "'You must keep walking, kind sir,' said a voice. "'Why, you've still got toes, dearie,' said another voice. "'Probably a good idea,' said Rosie, tugging Vimes's arm. "'But I can tell you've impressed them.' "'How?' "'You're not bent double and making bubbling noises. "'Come along, mystery man.' "'Vimes stared ahead, "'looking out for the blue light of Pseudopolis Yard. "'Somehow it'd all make sense there. "'But when he got there, "'there was no blue light over the archway. "'There were just a few lights upstairs. "'Vimes hammered on the door until it opened a crack. "'What the hell's going on here?' he demanded, "'to the nose and one eye "'that was the visible totality of the occupant. "'And get out of the way!' "'He pushed the door back and strode in.' It wasn't the watch-house, not inside. There were familiar stairs right enough, but there was a wall right across the charge-room, and carpets on the floor, and tapestries on the wall, and and a housemaid holding a tray, and staring, and dropping the tray, and screaming. ''Where are all my officers?'' Vimes yelled. ''You leave this minute, do you hear? You can't just come in like that. You get out of here!'' Vimes turned and confronted the old man who'd opened the door. He looked like a butler, and had picked up a cudgel. Perhaps because of nerves, or maybe just because of general elderly tremors, the tip of the cudgel waved and weaved under his nose. Vimes snatched it and threw it on the floor. ''What is going on?'' he demanded. The old man looked as bewildered as he was. Vimes felt an odd, hollow terror welling up inside him. He darted back through the open door and into the wet night. Rosie and the aunts had melted away in the darkness, as night people do when trouble looms, but Vimes ran on and into King's Way, pushing aside other pedestrians and dodging the occasional carriage. "'He was getting a second wind when he reached Schoon Avenue "'and turned into the driveway at number 1. "'He wasn't sure what he'd find, but the place looked normal "'and there were torches burning on either side of the door. "'Familiar gravel crunched under his feet. "'He went to hammer on the door, but steeled himself not to "'and rang the bell instead. "'After a moment, the door was opened by a butler. "'Thank goodness,' said Fimes. "'It's me, man. Been in a fight. Nothing to worry about. How is?' "'What do you want?' said the butler coldly. "'He took a step back.' "'bringing him more fully in the light of the hall lamps. "'Vimes had never seen him before. "'What happened to Wilkins? said Vimes. scullery boy!' now the butler's tone was icy. "'If you are a relative, I suggest you inquire at the, around at the tradesman's entrance. "'You ought to know better than to come to the front door.' "'Vimes tried to think how to deal with this, but his fist didn't bother to wait. "'It laid the man out quite cleanly. "'No time for this,' said Vimes, stepping over him. "'He stood in the middle of the big hall and cupped his hands.' "'Mrs. Content! Sibyl!' he yelled, "'feeling the terror twist and knot inside him. "'Yes?' said a voice from what Vimes had always called "'the ghastly pink drawing-room, and Sibyl stepped out. "'It was Sibyl. The voice was right, and the eyes were right, "'and the way she stood was right. "'But the age wasn't right. "'This was a girl far too young to be Sibyl.' "'She looked from him to the prone butler. "'Did you do that to Forsyth?' she said. ''I... Uh, I... it's... there's been a mistake,'' Vimes murmured back in a way. But Sybil was already pulling a sword off the wall. It wasn't there for show. Vimes couldn't remember if his wife had ever learned to fence, but several feet of edged weapon is quite threatening enough when wielded by an angry amateur. Amateurs sometimes get lucky. He backed away hurriedly. ''It's been a mistake. a uh, Wrong house. Mistaken identity.'' He almost tripped over the fallen butler, but managed to turn this into a staggering run through the doorway and down the steps. "'Wet leaves brushed against him "'as he blundered through the shrubbery to the gateway "'where he leaned against the wall and gulped for air. "'That bloody library! "'Hadn't he heard something once "'about how you could walk through time or something there? "'All those magical books pressed together "'did something strange. "'Sibyl had been so young. "'She looked sixteen. "'No wonder there wasn't a watch-house in Sudopolis Yard. "'They'd only moved in there a few years ago. "'The water was soaking through the cheap clothes.' Back home, somewhere, was his huge leather greatcoat, heavy with oil, warm as toast. Think. Think. Don't let the terror take control. Perhaps he could go and explain things to Sybil. After all, she was still Sybil, wasn't she? Kind to bedraggled creatures. But even the softest heart would be inclined to harden when a rough, desperate man with a fresh scar and bad clothes barged into the house and said he was going to be your husband. A young woman could get quite the wrong idea, and he wouldn't want that while she was holding a sword. Besides, Lord Ramkin was probably still alive, and he'd been a bloodthirsty old devil, as far as Vimes could recall. He slumped against the wall and reached for a cigar, and a terror twisted him again. There was nothing in his pocket, nothing at all. No pantweed-slim panatellas, but, more importantly, no cigar case. It had been especially made. It had a slight curve. It had always nestled in his pocket since the day Sybil had given it to him. It was as near part of him as any thing could be. We are here, and this is now. Constable Visit, a strict believer in the omnium religion, occasionally quoted that from their holy book. Vimes understood it to mean, in less exalted copper-speak, that you have to do the job that is in front of you. I am here, Vimes thought, and this is then. And less conscious parts of this brain added, You have no friends here. No home here. No purpose here. You are alone here. No, not alone said a part that was much, much deeper even than the terror and was always on watch. Someone was watching him. A figure detached itself from the damp shadows of the street and walked towards him. Vimes couldn't make out the face, but that didn't matter. He knew it would be smiling, that special smile of the Predator, who knows he has the prey under his paw, and knows that the prey knows this too, and also knows that the prey is desperately going to act as if they're having a perfectly friendly conversation, because the prey wants so much for this to be the case. "'You don't want to die here,' said the deep, dark part of Vimes's soul. "'Got a light, mister,' said the Predator. He didn't even bother to wave an unlit cigarette. "'Why, yes, of course,' said Vimes.' He went as if to pat his pocket, but swung around, arm outstretched, and caught a man creeping up behind him right across the ear. Then he leapt for the light demand in front of him and bore him to the ground with an arm across his throat. It would have worked. He knew afterwards that it really would have worked. If there hadn't been two more men in the shadows, it would have worked. As it was, he managed to kick one of them on the kneecap before he felt the garrote go round his neck. He was pulled upright, the scars screaming pain as he tried to clutch at the rope. "'You old dim right there,' said a voice. "'Look what he did to Jez!' Damn, I'm going to kick him in. The shadows moved. Vimes, struggling for breath, his one good eye watering, was only vaguely aware what was happening. But there were some grunts and some soft, strange noises, and the pressure on his neck was abruptly released. He fell forward and then, reeling a little, struggled to his feet. A couple of men were lying on the ground. One was bent double, making little bubbling noises. And far off and getting further, there were running footsteps. Lucky we found you in time, kind sir, said a voice right behind him. ''Not lucky for some, dearie,'' said the one right next to it. Rosie stepped forward out of the gloom. ''I think you ought to come back with us,'' she said. ''You're going to get hurt, running around like this. Come on. Obviously I'm not taking you back to my place,'' ''obviously,'' murmured Vimes. ''But Mossy'll find it somewhere to lay your head, I expect.'' ''Mossy Lawn," said Vimes, suddenly light-headed. ''That's him, the pox doctor. I remember.'' He tried to focus one tired eye on the young woman. Yes, the bone structure was right. That chin, that was a no-nonsense chin. It was a chin that took people somewhere. Rosie, you're Mrs. Palm. Mrs., she said coldly, while the agony aunts giggled their high-pitched giggle. I think not. Well, I mean, Vimes floundered. And I've never seen you before, said Rosie and neither have Dotsie and Sadie, and they have an amazing memory for faces. But you act as if you own a place, John Keel. Do I? You do. It's the way you stand. Officers stand like that. You eat well, maybe a bit too well. You could lose a few pounds. And then there's the scars all over you. I saw them in Mossy's place. Your legs are tanned from the knees down, and that says watchman to me, because they go bare-legged. But I know every watchman in the city, and you're not one of them so maybe you're a military man. You fight by instinct and dirty too. That means you're used to fighting for your life in a melee, and that's odd, because that says to me foot-soldier, not officer. The word is that the lads took some fine armour off you. That's officer. But you don't wear rings. That's foot-soldier. Rings catch in things. Can pull your finger off if you're not careful. And you're married. How can you tell that? "'Any woman could tell that,' said Rosie Palms smoothly. "'Now, step sharp. We're out after curfew as it is. "'The watch won't bother much about us, but they will about you.' "'Curfew,' thought Vimes. That was a long time ago. Veterinari never ordered curfews. They interfered with business.' "'I think perhaps I lost my memory when I was attacked,' he said. "'That sounded good,' he thought. "'What he really needed now was somewhere quiet to think.' "'Really? I think perhaps I'm the Queen of Hersheba.' "'said Rosie. "'Just remember, kind sir, "'I'm not doing this because I'm interested in you, "'although I'd admit to a macabre fascination "'about how long you're going to survive. "'If it hadn't been a cold, wet night, "'I'd have left you in the road. "'I'm a working girl, and I don't need trouble. "'But you look like a man who can lay his hands on a few dollars, "'and there will be a bill.' "'I'll leave the money on the dressing-table,' said Vimes. "'The slap in the face knocked him against the wall. "'Consider that a sign of my complete lack "'of a sense of humour, will you?' said Rosie, shaking some life back into her hand. I'm sorry, said Vimes. I did not mean to... I mean, look, thank you for everything, I I mean it, but this is not being a good night. Yes, I can see that. It's worse than you think, believe me. We all have our troubles, believe me, said Rosie. Vimes was glad of the agony arts behind them as they walked back to the Shades. This was the old Shades, and Lorne lived a street's width away from it. The watch never set foot here. In truth, the new shades wasn't a lot better, but people had at least learned what happened if anyone attacked a watchman. The aunts were a different matter. No one attacked the aunts. A night's sleep, thought Vimes. Maybe in the morning this won't have happened. She wasn't there, was she? said Rosie after a while. Your wife. That was Lord Ramkin's house. Are you in trouble with him? Never met a man, said Vimes absently. "'You were lucky someone told us where you'd gone. "'Those men were probably in the pay of someone up there. "'They're a law unto themselves over in Ankh. "'Some rough man walking around with no tradesman's tools, "'well, he's to be turned off the patch, "'and if they rob you blind while they're doing it, "'who's going to care?' "'Yes,' thought Fimes, "'that's the way it was. "'Privilege, which just means private law. Two types of people laugh at the law, "'those that break it and those that make it. "'Well, it's not like that now.' but I'm not in now, now. Damn those wizards. The wizards, right. In the morning I'll go and explain easy. They'll understand. I'll bet they can send me right back to when I left. There's a whole university full of people to deal with this. It's not my problem anymore. Relief filled his body like a warm pink mist. All he had to do was get through the night. But why wait? They were open all night, weren't they? Magic didn't shut. Vimes remembered late-night patrols when he could practically see by the glows coming from some of the windows. He could simply... Hold on, hold on. A policeman's thought had been stirring in his mind. The aunts didn't run. They famously didn't run. They caught up with you slowly. Anyone who'd been, as they called it, a very naughty boy, would sleep extremely badly knowing that the aunts and his tail were slowly getting nearer, pausing only for a cream tea somewhere or to visit an interesting jumble sale. But Vimes had run, run all the way up to Schoon Avenue, in the dark, through coach traffic and crowds of people worming home before curfew. No one had paid him any attention. Would surely not have seen his face as they did. And he certainly didn't know anyone here. He amended the thought. No one knew him. So, he said casually, who told you where I'd gone? Oh, one of those old monks, said Rosie. Which old monks? "'Oh, noes. A little bald man with a robe and a broom. "'There's always monks begging and chanting somewhere. "'He was in Feeder Road.' "'And you asked him where I'd gone?' "'What? No.' "'He just looked round and said, "'Mr. Keel ran up to Schoon Avenue. "'Then he went on sweeping.' "'Sweeping?' "'Oh, it's the kind of holy thing they do, "'so they don't tread on ants, I think. "'Or they sweep sins away, or maybe they just like the place clean. "'Who cares what monks do?' "'And nothing about that struck you as odd?' "'Why?' "'I thought perhaps you were naturally kind to beggars,' snapped Rosie. "'Doesn't bother me. Dotsy said she put something in his begging bowl, though.' "'What?' "'Would you ask?' "'The majority of Vimes thought, "'Who does care about what monks do? "'They're monks. That's why they're weird. "'Maybe one had a moment of revelation or something. "'They like that kind of thing. So what?' "'Find the wizards. Explain what's happened and leave it to them.' the policeman part thought, how do little monks know I'm called Keel? I smell a rat. The majority said, it's a thirty-year-old rat then. And the policeman said, yeah, that's why it smells. Look, I'm going to have to go and check something, he said. I'll probably be back. Well, I can't chain you up, said Rosie. She smiled a grim little smile and went on, that costs extra. "'But if you don't come back, yet have any intention of staying in this city, then the aunts?' "'I promise you, the last thing I want to do is leave Angmore Pork,' said Vimes. "'That's actually sounded convincing,' said Rosie. "'Off you go, then. We're past curfew now, but why don't I think you'll be bothered by that?' "'As he disappeared in the gloom, Dotsy sidled up to Rosie. "'Do you want we should follow him, dearie?' "'Don't bother.' "'You should have let Sadie give him a little prod, dear. That slows them down.' "'I think it takes quite a lot to slow that man down, and we don't want trouble. "'Not at a time like this. We're too close.' "'You don't want to be out at a time like this, mister.' "'Vimes turned. He'd been hammering on the closed gates of the university. "'There were three watchmen behind him. "'One of them was holding a torch. Another was holding a sword. "'A third had clearly decided that activities for tonight would not include heavy lifting.' Vimes raised his hands, slowly. "'I expect he wants to be in a nice cold cell for the night,' said the one with the torch. "'Oh, dear,' thought Vimes. "'It's the Comedian of the Year contest. "'Coppers really oughtn't to try this, but they still did. "'I was just visiting the university,' he said. "'Oh, yeah,' said the one without either torch or sword. "'He was portly, and Vimes could make out "'the tarnished gleam of a sergeant's stripes. "'Where do you live?' Nowhere, said Vimes. I've just arrived. And shall we move right along? I don't have a job and I don't have any money, and neither of those is a crime. Out after curfew. No visible means of support, said the sergeant. i got me legs, said Vimes. At the moment, ha <laughs> ha said one of the men. He stopped when Vimes looked at him. I want to make a complaint, sergeant. What about? You, said Vimes. And the brothers grin here. You're not doing it right. If you're going to arrest someone, you take charge right away. You've got a badge and a weapon, yes? And he's got his hands up and a guilty conscience. Everyone's got a guilty conscience. So he's wondering what you know and what you're going to do. And what you do is fire off the question sharply. "'You don't make silly jokes because that makes you all too human "'and you keep him off balance so he can't quite think a clear sentence, "'and above all, you don't let him move like this "'and grab your arm and pull it up so it almost breaks like this "'and grab your sword and hold it to your throat like this. "'Tell your men to lower those swords, will you? "'The way they're waving them around, they could hurt someone.' "'The sergeant gurgled. "'Right,' said Fimes. "'Oh, sergeant, this is a sword?' Ever sharpen it? What do you use it for, bludgeoning people to death? Now, what you're going to do is, you're all going to put your weapons on the ground over there, and then I'm going to let the Sarge go, and I'll leg it up that alley, okay? And by the time you've got your weapons, and believe me, I'd advise you to get older weapons before coming after me, I'll be well away. End of problem all round. Any questions? All three watchmen were silent. Then Vimes heard a very faint "'very close noise. "'It was the sound of the hairs in his ears rustling "'as with great care the tip of a crossbow bolt "'gently entered his ear. "'Yes, sir, I have a question,' said the voice behind him. "'Do you ever listen to your own advice?' "'Vimes felt the pressure of the crossbow against his skull "'and wondered how far the arrow would go if the trigger was pulled. "'An inch would be too much.' Sometimes you just had to take the lumps. He dropped the sword with great and exaggerated care, released his grip on the sergeant and stepped away meekly while the fourth watchman maintained his aim. I'll just stand with my legs apart, shall I? he said. Yeah, growled the sergeant, turning around. Yeah, that'll save us a bit of time. Although for you, mister, we've got all night. Well done, Lance Constable. We'll make a watchman of you yet. ''Yeah, well done,'' said Vimes, staring at the young man with the bow. But the sergeant was already taking his run-up. It was later. Pain had happened. Vimes lay on the hard cell bed and tried to make it go away. It hadn't been as bad as it might be. That mob hadn't even been able to organise a good scene to. They didn't understand how a man could roll with the punches and half the time they were getting in their own way.'' Was he enjoying this? Not the pain. He'd pass on the pain. In fact, he's passed out on the pain. But there was that small part of him he'd heard sometimes during strenuous arrests after long chases, the part that wanted to punch and punch long after punching had already achieved its effect. There was a joy to it. He called it the beast. It stayed hidden until you needed it, and then, when you needed it, out it came. Pain brought it out, and fear... He'd killed werewolves with his bare hands, mad with anger and terror and tasting deep inside the blood of the beast, and it was sniffing the air. Hello, Mr. Vimes. <laughs> I was wondering when you'd wake up. He sat up sharply. The cells were barred on the corridor side, but also between cells as well, on the basis that those caged ought to know they were in a cage. And in the next cell, lying with his hands behind his head, was carsa "'Go on,' said Carsa cheerfully. "'Make a grab for me through the bars, eh? "'Want to see how long it takes before the guards arrive?' "'At least they got you too,' said Vimes. "'Not for long, not for long. "'I smell of roses, me. (laughs) "'Visitor to the city. "'Got lost. "'Very helpful to the watch. "'So sorry to have bothered them. "'Here's a little something for their trouble. "'You shouldn't have stopped the watch taking bribes, Mr Vimes. "'It means an easier life all round. (laughs) "'Then I'll nail you some other way, Carsa.' Carser inserted a finger in his nose, wiggled it round, withdrew it, inspected its contents critically and flicked them up towards the ceiling. ''Well, that's where it goes all runny, Mr. Vimes. You see, I wasn't dragged in by four coppers. I didn't go round assaulting watchmen or trying to break into the university. I was knocking on the door.'' ''I believe you, Mr. Vimes. But you know what coppers are like.'' You look at them in that funny way, and the buggers will fit you up for every crime in the book. Terrible what they can pin on an honest man. Vimes <laughs> knew it. So, you got some money, he said. Of course, Mr Vimes, I'm a crook. And the best part is, it's even easier to be a crook when no one knows you're a crook. <laughs> but coppering depends on people believing you're a copper. A Turn up for the books, eh? You know, we're back in the good old days. huh? <laughs> It seems that way, Vimes admitted. He didn't like talking to Carson, but right now he seemed to be the only real person around. Where did you land, if I may ask? In the shades. Me too. Couple of blokes tried to mug me where I lay. Me, I ask you, Mr Vimes. Still, they had some money on them, so that worked out all right. Yes, I think I'm going to be very happy here. Oh, here comes one of our brave lads. A watchman walked along the passage, swinging his keys. He was elderly. The kind of copper who gets given the jobs where swinging keys is more likely than swinging a truncheon. And his most distinguishing feature was a nose twice the width and half the length of the average nose. He stared at Vimes for a moment and then passed on to Carsa's cell. He unlocked the door. ''You, op he said. ''Yes, sir, thank you, sir,'' said Carser, hurrying out. He pointed to Vimes. ''You want to watch that one, sir? He's an animal. Decent people shouldn't be locked up in the same cell, sir.'' ''Op it,'' I said. ''Opping it, sir. Thank you, sir.'' And Carsa, with a leery wink at Vimes, hopped it. The jailer turned to Vimes. ''And what's your name, <coughs> Mr?'' ''John Keel,'' said Vimes. ''Yeah?'' ''Yeah, and I've had my kick in. Fair's fair. I'd like to go now.'' ''Oh, you'd like to go, would you?'' <coughs> ''You'd like me to hand over these keys <coughs> and give you five pence in the poor box for your <coughs> travel, eh?'' The man was standing very close to the bars, with the grin of one who mistakenly thinks he's a wit when he's only half a one. And if Vimes's reflexes were quicker, and he'd bet they were even now, it'd be the work of a second to pull the old fool forcibly into the bars and spread his nose even further across his face. No doubt about it. The psychopaths had it the easy way. Just freedom would do, he said, resisting temptation. You ain't going anywhere, <laughs> except to see the captain... "'said the jailer. "'That'll be Captain Tilden,' said Vimes. "'Have I got that right? "'Smokes like a bonfire, got a brass ear and a wooden leg. "'Yeah, and he can have you shot. (laughs) "'How do you like them bananas?' "'The cluttered desk of Vimes's memory "'finally unearthed the inadvertent coffee mat of recollection "'from under the teacup of forgetfulness. "'You're snouty,' he said. "'Right. "'Some bloke broke your nose and it never got set properly. "'And your eyes water all the time, "'which is why they gave you permanent jail duty.' Do I know you, mister? said Snouty, peering at Vimes through suspicious running eyes. Me? No, no, said Vimes hastily. But I've heard people talk about you. Practically runs the watch-house, they said. Very fair man, they said. Firm but fair. Never spits in the gruel, never whittles in the tea, and never confuses his fruit either. The visible parts of Snouty's face contorted into the resentful scowl of someone who can't quite keep up with the script. Oh, yeah, he managed. Well, (laughs) I've always kept a clean cell, that's very true. He looked a little nonplussed at the development, but managed another scowl. You stay here, mister, and I'll go and tell the captain you woke up. Vimes went back and lay on the bunk, staring at the badly spelled and anatomically incorrect graffiti on the ceiling. For a while there was a raised voice from upstairs, with an occasional intrusive, (coughs) from snouting. Then he heard the jailer's footsteps on the stairs again. Well, 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 he said with the tone of someone looking forward to seeing a third party get what was coming to them. Turns out the captain wants to see you right away. Now, are you going to let me shackle you, <clears throat> or do I call the lads down? God's protect you, Vimes thought. Maybe it was true that the blow that had spread Snouty's nose across his face had scrambled his brain. You had to be a special kind of idiot to try to handcuff a dangerous prisoner all by yourself. If he'd tried it with carsa for example, he'd have been a dead idiot five minutes ago. The jailer opened the door. Vimes stood up and presented his wrists. After a second's hesitation, Snouty handcuffed him. It always paid to be nice to the jailer. You might not get handcuffed behind your back. But a man with both hands in front of him had quite a lot of freedom. "'You go up the stairs first,' said Snouty, and reached down and picked up a rather more efficient-looking crossbow than Vimes had seen last night. "'And if you even try to walk fast, mister, I'll shoot you (coughs) where you die slow.' Very fair, said Vimes, very fair. He walked up the stairs very carefully, hearing Snouty's heavy breathing right behind him. Like many people of limited intellectual scope, Snouty did take what he could do very seriously. He'd show a refreshing lack of compunction about pulling that trigger for one thing. Vimes reached the top of the stairs and remembered to hesitate. (laughs) Turn left, you, said Snouty behind him. Vimes nodded to himself, and then first on the right it was all coming back to him in a great wave. This was Treacle Mine Road. This was his first watch-house. This was where it all began. The captain's door was open. The tired-looking old man behind the desk glanced up. "'Be seated,' said Tilden coldly. "'Thank you, Snouty.' Vimes had mixed memories of Captain Tilden. He had been a military man before being given this job as a kind of pension— and that was a bad thing in a senior copper. It meant he looked to authority for orders and obeyed them, whereas Vimes found it better to look to authority for orders and then filter those orders through a fine mesh of common sense, adding a generous scoop of creative misunderstanding and maybe even incipient deafness if circumstances demanded, because authority rarely descended to street level. Tilden set too great a score by shiny breastplates and smartness on parade. You had to have some of that stuff, that was true enough. You couldn't let people slob around. But although he'd never voiced the view in public, Vimed liked to see a bit of battered armour around the place. It showed that someone had been battering it. Besides, when you were lurking in the shadows, you didn't want to gleam. There was an Ankh-Morpork flag pinned to one wall. The red faded to threadbare orange. Rumour had it that Tilden saluted it every day. There was also a very large silver inkstand with a gilt regimental crest on it, occupying quite a lot of the desk. "'Snouty polished it every morning and it shone. "'Tilden had never quite left the army behind. "'Still, Vimes retained a soft spot for the old man. "'He'd been a successful soldier as these things went. "'He'd generally been on the winning side "'and had killed more of the enemy by good if dull tactics "'than his own men by bad but exciting ones. "'He'd been, in his own way, kind and reasonably fair. "'The men of the watch had run rings around him "'without him even noticing.' "'Now Tilden was giving him the long stare with associated paperwork. "'It was supposed to mean, we know all about you, "'so why don't you tell us all about yourself?' "'But he really wasn't any good at it.' "'Vimes returned it blankly. "'What is your name again?' said Tilden, "'aware that Vimes was the better starer. "Keel," said Vimes. "'John Keel." "'And what the hell?' Locke," he said.' You've only got one piece of paper there that means anything, and that's the report from that sergeant, assuming he can write. As a matter of fact, I have two pieces of paper, said the captain. The other one concerns the death of John Keel. What? What? For a scrap of the watch? In the current emergency, that would be quite sufficient for the death penalty, said Tilden, leaning forward. But, ha, perhaps it won't be necessary in this case, because John Keel died yesterday. You beat him up and robbed him, what? "'He took his money, but he didn't bother with the letters "'because your sort can't read, what? "'So you wouldn't have known that John Keel was a policeman, what? "'What?' "'Vimes stared at the skinny face "'with its triumphantly bristling moustache "'and the little faded blue eyes. "'And then there was the sound of someone "'industriously sweeping the floor in the corridor outside. "'The captain looked past him, growled and hurled a pen. "'Get him out of here!' he barked. "'What's the little devil doing here this time of night anyway?' "'Vimes turned his head.' There was a skinny, wizened-looking man, standing in the doorway, bearded and as bald as a baby. He was grinning stupidly and holding a broom. "'He's cheap, sir, and it's best if he comes in when it's quiet,' snouty murmured, grabbing the little man by a stick-thin elbow. "'Come on, out you get, Mr. Lousy!' So now the crossbow wasn't pointing at Vimes, and he had several pounds of metal on his wrists, or, to put it another way, his arms were a hammer.' He went to stand up. Vimes woke up and stared at the ceiling. There was a deep rumbling somewhere nearby. Treadmill? Watermill? It was going to be a corny line, but some things you had to know. "'Where am I?' he said. And then he added, "'This time?' "'Well done,' said a voice somewhere behind him. "'Consciousness to sarcasm in five seconds.' The room was large by the feel of the air, and the play of light on the walls suggested there were candles alight behind Vimes. The voice said, ''I'd like you to think of me as a friend.'' ''A friend? Why?'' said Vimes. There was a smell of cigarette smoke in the air. ''Everyone ought to have a friend?'' said the voice. ''Ah, I see you've noticed you're still handcuffed.'' The voice said this because in one movement Vimes had swung himself off the table and plunged forward. Vimes woke up and stared at the ceiling. There was a deep rumbling somewhere nearby. Treadmill? Watermill. Then his thoughts knotted themselves most unpleasantly. "'What?' he said. "'Just happened?' "'I just thought you might like to try that again, lad,' said the invisible friend. "'We have little tricks here, as you will learn. "'Just sit up. "'I know you've been through a lot, but we don't have time for messing about.' "'This is sooner than I'd like, but I thought I'd better get you out of there "'before it went really runny, Mr. Vimes.' "'Vimes froze. "'Who are you?' he said. "'It's Lutze, officially, Mr. Vimes, "'but you can call me Sweeper, since we're friends.' "'Vimes sat up carefully and looked around. "'The shadowy walls were covered with writing. "'It must be writing,' he thought.' but the Hubland type of writing which is only one step away from being little pictures. The candle was standing in a saucer. Somewhere behind it, just visible in the shadows, were two cylinders, each as wide as a man and twice as long, set in massive horizontal bearings, one above the other. Both were turning slowly, and both gave the impression of being a lot bigger than their mere dimensions suggested. Their rumble filled the room. There was a strange violet haze around them. Two yellow-robed figures tended the cylinders, but Vimes's eye was drawn to the skinny little bald man sitting on an upturned crate by the candle. He was smoking a foul roll-up of the sort favoured by Nobby and looked like a foreign monk. In fact, he looked exactly the kind Vimes occasionally saw with begging bowls in the streets. You're looking fit, Mr. Vimes, said Sweeper. You were in the watchhouse, right, said Vimes. Snoutly called you lousy. Ah, yes, Mr. Vimes, let say. I've been sweeping up there every night for the past ten years, all for two pence and all the kicks I can't dodge, just waiting for you. And you told Rosie Palm where I'd gone too. You were the monk on the bridge, right again. Couldn't be sure she'd catch up. How do you know who I am? Don't get excited, Mr Vimes. "'said Sweeper calmly. "'I'm here to help you, Your Grace, "'and I'm your friend because right now "'I'm the only person in the world "'who will probably believe anything you tell me "'about, oh, thunderstorms and falls, "'that sort of thing. "'At least,' he added, "'the only sane person.' "'He watched Fimes "'as the man sat quite still for half a minute. "'Good, Mr. Fimes,' said Sweeper, "'thinking. "'I like that in a man.' ''This is magic, right?'' said Vimes at last. ''Something like that, yes,'' said Sweeper. ''For instance, just now we moved you back in time, just a few seconds, just so you wouldn't do anything you'd regret. Can't say I blame you for wanting to have a go at someone after all you've been through, but we don't want any harm to come to you, do we?'' (laughs) ''Ha! I almost had my hands round your throat!'' Sweeper smiled. It was a disarmingly little smile. ''Smoke?'' he said. He fumbled in his robe and produced a ragged hand-rolled cigarette. ''Thanks, but I've got me own,'' Vimes began automatically. His hand stopped halfway to his pocket. ''Ah, oh, yes,'' said Sweeper. ''The silver cigar case. Sibyl gave it to you as a wedding present, right? Shame about that.'' ''I want to go home,'' said Vimes. It came out as a whisper. He hadn't been sleeping in the past twelve hours, merely recovering. This time it was Sweeper who sat in silence, apart from the rumble of the cylinders. "'You're a policeman, Mr Vimes,' he said eventually. "'Well, I'd like you to believe for a while "'that I'm a sort of policeman too, all right? "'Me and my colleagues, we see that things happen or don't happen. "'Don't ask questions right now, just nod.' vimes shrugged instead good and let's say on our patrol we found you as it might be in a metaphorical kind of way lying in the gutter on a saturday night singing a rude song about wheelbarrows i don't know a rude song about wheelbarrows sweep aside hedgehogs custard one string fiddles it really doesn't matter Now, we've found you a long way from where you should be, and we'd like to get you home, but it's not as easy as you might think. I've gone back in time, haven't I? It was that bloody library. Everyone knows the magic in there makes strange things happen. Well, yes. It was mainly that, yes. It's more true to say that you, uh, got caught up in a major event. Can anyone get me back? Can you get me back? Well... "'said Sweeper, looking awkward. "'Wizards can if you can't,' said Vimes. "'I'll go and see them in the morning.' "'Oh, you will, will you? "'I'd like to be there when you do. "'These ain't the wizards under decent old red colour, you know, "'and you're not His Grace Commander Sir Samuel Vimes neither. "'You're a rough-looking devil "'who'll be burbling a story about thunderstorms "'and flying through time to a bunch of rather devious and unpleasant men. "'You'll be lucky if they only laugh at you. "'Anyway,' Even if they wanted to be helpful, they'd hit the same problem. And what's that? It can't be done. Not yet. For the first time in the conversation, Sweeper looked ill at ease. The big problem I'm facing, Mr. Vimes, is that I ought to tell you a few things that I'm not, in any circumstances, allowed to tell you. But you're a man who isn't happy until he knows the facts. I respect that. So... If I tell you everything, can you spare me, oh, twenty minutes of your time? It could save your life. All right, said Vimes, but what? You've got a bargain, said Sweeper. Roll on, boys. The noise of the big cylinders changed for a moment, and Vimes felt a very slight shock, a suggestion that his whole body had just gone plib. Twenty minutes, said Sweeper. I'll answer every question, and then, Mr. Vimes, we'll have a little chat and send you back from twenty minutes in the future to now, and you'll tell yourself what you and me agree you ought to know, which will be most of it, really. You're a man who can keep secrets, okay? Uh, Yeah, but... Vimes began. The tone of the spinning cylinders changed slightly. Sam Vimes saw himself standing in the middle of the room. That's me! Yeah, right, said Sweeper. Now, listen to the man. Hello, Sam, said the other vimes, staring not quite at him. I can't see you, but they say you can see me. Remember the smell of lilac? You thought about those who died, and then you told Willikins to hose down that kid, and uh, you've got a pain in your chest and you're a bit worried about it, but you haven't told anyone. That's about enough, I think. You know I'm you. Now, there's some things I can't tell you. I can know them because I'm in a the speaker stopped and looked away as if he was taking instruction from someone off stage. A closed loop. Uh, You could say I'm twenty minutes of your life you don't recall. Remember when you had a sensation that his whole body had just gone Plib. Sweeper stood up. I hate to do this, he said, but we're in the temple and we can pretty much dampen out the paradoxes. On your feet, Mr. Vimes, I'm going to tell you everything. You just said you couldn't. "'Sweeper smiled. "'I need any help with those handcuffs?' "'What? "'These old capstick-marked ones? Now, just give me a nail in a couple of minutes. "'How come I'm in a temple?' "'I brought you here. "'You carried me?' "'No, you walked with me. "'Blindfolded, of course, and then when you were here "'I gave you a little drink. "'I don't remember that.' "'Of course not. "'That was the purpose of the drink. "'Not very mystical, but it does the job.' We don't want you coming back here now, do we? This place is supposed to be a secret. You messed up my memory. Now you see here, Vimes half stood, but Sweeper held up his hands placatingly. Don't worry, don't worry. It just made you forget a few minutes, he said. How many minutes? Just a few, just a few. And it had herbs in it. Good for you, herbs. And then we let you sleep. "'Don't worry. No one is after us. "'They'll never know you've gone. "'See these things here?' "'Sweeper picked up an openwork box that lay beside his chair. "'It had a strap like a knapsack, "'and Vimes could just see a cylinder inside the box. "'This is called a procrastinator,' said the monk. "'And it's a tiny version of the ones over there, "'the ones that look like your granny's mangle. "'I'm not going to get technical, "'but when it's spinning it moves time around you.' Did you understand what I just said? No. All right. It's a magic box. Happier? Go on, said Vimes grimly. You wore one of these, and I led you here from the watch-house. Because you were wearing it, you were, shall we say, outside time. And after we've had this little talk, I'll take you back to the watch-house, and the old captain won't know any difference. No time is passing in the outside world while we're in the temple.' The procrastinators take care of that. Like I said, they move time around. Actually, what's really happening is that they are moving us back in time at the same time that time moves us forward. We've got others around the place, good for keeping food fresh. What else can I tell you? Oh, yeah. It helps keep track if you just think of things happening one after another, believe me. This is like a dream said Fimes. There was a clink as the handcuffs sprang open. Yes, it is, isn't it? said Sweeper calmly. And can your magic box take me home? Move me in time all the way to where I ought to be. This? Ha! No, this is strictly for small-scale stuff. Look, Mr. Sweeper, I've spent the last day fighting a right bastard on a roof and getting beaten up twice and sewn up once and ha, stitched up too. i I've got the impression I should be thanking you for something, but I'm downed if I know what it is. "'What I want is straight answers, mister. "'I'm the commander of the watch in this city.' "'Don't you mean you'll well be?' said Sweeper. "'No. You told me it helps if I think of things happening one after another. "'Well, yesterday, my yesterday, I was commander of the watch, "'and I bloody well still am the commander of the watch. "'I don't care what anyone else thinks. "'They are not in possession of all the facts.' "'Hold on to that thought,' said Sweeper, standing up. "'All right, Commander. You want some facts? "'Let's take a walk in the garden, shall we?' "'Can you get me home?' "'Not yet. "'It's my professional opinion that you're here for a reason.' "'A reason I fell through the bloody dome!' "'That helped, yes. "'Calm down, Mr Vimes. "'It's all been a great strain, I can see.' Sweeper led the way out of the hall. "'There was a big office outside, "'a hubbub of quiet but purposeful activity.' Here and there, among the worn and scratched desks, there were more cylinders like the ones Vimes had seen in the other chamber. Some of them were turning slowly. "'Very busy, our Ankh-Morpork section,' said Sweeper. "'We had to buy the shops on either side.' He picked up a scroll from a basket by one desk, glanced at the contents, and tossed it back with a sigh. "'And everyone's overworked,' he added. "'We're here at all hours, and when we say all hours, we know what we're talking about.' "'What is it you do?' said Vimes. "'We see that things happen.' "'Don't things happen, anyway?' "'Depends what things you want. "'We are the monks of history, Mr. Vimes. "'We see that it happens.' "'I've never heard of you, "'and I know this city like the back of my hand.' "'Right. "'And how often do you really look at the back of your hand, Mr. Vimes? "'We are in Clay Lane, to stop you wondering.' "'What?' "'Those loony monks in the funny foreign building "'between the pawnbrokers and the shonky shop? "'The ones who go dancing round the street "'banging drums and shouting?' "'Well done, Mr Vimes. "'It's funny how secretly you can move "'when you're a loony monk "'dancing through the streets banging a drum. "'When I was a kid, "'most of my clothes came from the shonky shop "'in Clay Lane,' said Vimes. "'Everyone we knew got their clothes from the shonky shop. It "'Used to be run by a foreign guy "'with a funny name. "'Brother soon sun said Sweeper. Not a hugely enlightened operative, but a genius when it comes to pricing fourth-hand schmutter. Shirts so worn you could see daylight through them, and trousers as shiny as glass, said Fimes. And by the end of the week, half the stuff was in the pawn shop." That's right, said Sweeper. You'd pawn your clothes in a pawnshop, but you'd never buy clothes from the pawnshop, cos they were standards, right?' Vimes nodded. When you got right down to the bottom of the ladder, the rungs were very close together, and, oh my, weren't the women careful about them. In their own way, they were as haughty as any duchess. You might not have much, but you could have standards. Clothes might be cheap and old, but at least they could be scrubbed. There might be nothing behind the front door worth stealing, but at least the doorstep could be clean enough to eat your dinner off, if you could have afforded dinner. And no one ever bought their clothes from the pawn shop, "'You'd hit bottom when you did that. "'No, you bought them from Mr. Sun at the Shonky Shop, "'and you never asked where he got them from. "'I went to me first proper job in a suit from the Shonky Shop,' he said. "'Seems like centuries ago now.' "'No,' said Sweeper. "'It was only last week.' Silence ballooned. The only sound was the purr of the cylinders dotted around the room. Then Sweeper added, "'It must have occurred to you.' "'Why?' I've spent most of the time here being beaten up or unconscious or trying to get home. You mean I'm out there somewhere? Oh, yes. In fact, last night, you saved the day for your squad by aiming a crossbow at a dangerous miscreant who was attacking your sergeant. The silence ballooned larger this time. It seemed to fill the universe. Eventually, Vime said, No, that's not right. That never happened. I would have remembered that and I can remember a lot about my first weeks in the job. Interesting, isn't it? said Sweeper. But is it not written? There's a lot goes on we don't get told. Mr. Vimes, you need a short spell in the garden of inner-city tranquillity. End of CD 2